1: Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, your host. There have been a number of mass shootings that have been close to home. Most recently in Louisville, where a 25-year-old gunman went into the old National Bank building and shot several of his colleagues before his life was taken by police. Five were left dead. And just weeks ago, there was another shooting at a Nashville Christian school that left six dead. Um, Three of them were children. So what should our response be? Should there be greater restrictions on firearm purchases? Should those who show signs of mental distress be flagged and prevented from purchasing firearms? Is it even possible to balance Second Amendment rights with further gun restrictions? Joining us on the Commonwealth Matters today is Pastor Ron Hicks, good friend and also a big Second Amendment advocate. And we're going to try to unpack this from a biblical perspective. Ron, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. And this is a topic that is uh, near and dear to everybody's heart because it is tragic. It seems like uh, senseless deaths. And, and I think everybody, everybody um, would love to be able to see a, a resolve to this issue.
1: Yeah, they, I think so. And I, I want to just say at the outset this is uh, this is super difficult to talk about because we're talking about innocent lives who were taken. We're talking about senseless tragedy. I don't understand how somebody could just take a firearm and take out their uh, their issues, their distress, whatever they're going through, just to take it out on innocent bystanders. Um, this issue, Ron, hits close to home as my admin assistant. Was friends with one of the people killed in at the old National Bank in Louisville, and um, just to, to, we prayed uh, for the family of that person who lost her life just the other day in our staff meeting. So this literally hits close to home. So I do want to I want to be sensitive, and um, I, I want us to process biblically, but also logically. And then carefully, Ron, and I don't even know if that's possible, you know, when no. we're talking about a highly emotional and just a real issue that's affected real people.
0: And I'm going to start out by saying also, and that was a great, great point that you made, Richard, um, that, that nothing that I say, nothing that I say in reference to the right to bear arms and all the rest of that, I, don't, I, I hope it's not construed as being incompassionate to families who have lost a loved one due to firearm violence. Um, yeah. Any more than, than me getting in my car and driving would somehow offend somebody who had a loved one killed in a drunk driving accident. Right. Uh, my my Second Amendment rights d- do not in any way flaunt anything in the face of somebody who's lost a loved one. And so I wanna make that very, very clear that uh, the, I also, not knowing any of the victims, anytime time I hear uh, of a of a of a firearm death um, good gracious, even a siren I stop and i pray for for the families yeah. so I want to make sure people understand that there's compassion behind um, everything that I'm going to say
1: I appreciate that ron and uh, I was sensitive to even talk about this um, so close to the events there is a little bit of separation between those events happening and by the time we're recording this program but I did notice that immediately after both of those mass shootings, there were calls for gun restrictions. And there's something that stirs in me when you have a tragedy like that, that um, when people rally around some kind of political solution and overlooking the grief that's there, the tremendous loss to the community, Um. It it seems like there's not even any space there to grieve. There's an immediate call for some kind of policy solution, some kind of law to be passed. And I get the angst and the frustration there. But I mean, am am I wrong in thinking that there should be a little bit of space anyway between those who are grieving and lost loved ones, and then the call for some kind of action in the policy arena?
0: Ooh, this, this. I don't know how this is going to land, but, but I think um spiritual things to non-spiritual people the bible says is foolishness Mm -hmm. so those of us who are blood-bought born-again believers i love to use that expression you know jesus christ died on the cross to be able to save us of our sins and he indwells us through the power of his holy spirit our first reaction is to be able to pound the throne of god to be able to just lift the family up in prayers there are others and i'm not i'm not suggesting i know the the religious or or the the Connection to God of any legislators, but it seems like the very first thing that a that a lot of legislators want to do, instead of calling for prayer, calling for reverence, calling for condolences to the family, first thing they want to do is to grab a hold of that and to be able to say, "Okay, I'm going to use this strategy, uh, tragedy, for some sort of a political advantage." Um, and 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 to me. It is, it is very, very off-putting. I mean, do, yeah. every time somebody drives, dies in a, in a drunk driving accident, do all the politicians get together and say, oh, we've got to do something about this alcohol thing? Well, mm-hmm. one of the most bizarre events that's ever happened in my life is yeah. when Walmart decided several years ago, after a mass shooting, that they were no longer going to sell ammunition. Yeah. Instead, they started selling alcohol. And I'm thinking to myself, this has nothing to do with any concern for our our, our safety or the general public. It's nothing more than a, be a politicized event. And that really is grotesque to me.
1: Yeah. And, and of course, when you talk about um, a, a mass shooting, uh, our news outlets carry this immediately. In fact, this latest one at Old National Bank in Louisville was live streamed on Instagram. The shooter went in. With the intention to let the whole world know what he was doing, and he was giving them a first, the world a firsthand account of what was happening, the evil and the intention, and and uh, just the shooting from his perspective. Um, so we we are uh, we are tuned in on this immediately. Uh, 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 the evil, senseless act of a of mass shooting um, is something that captures it resonates it ca- it it grips us emotionally. And um, now, Ron, to, to, to your point about the uh, drunk driving, um, you know, usually it's somebody, it's a little different, it's a con- different context there. The results are the same. And by the way, there are more people that die from car accidents and drunk drivers than do by gun deaths in this country. Um, but I think it's the, the evil involved, it's the intent involved. And it's just the idea that um, we have these mass shootings. I want to take a step back and just ask this. um, Have you ever given thought to why are there more mass shootings today than there were 30 years ago? When you and I were much younger, we didn't hear about mass shootings. Um, In fact, mass shootings in public schools really didn't start until uh, the, the late 1990s. You had Columbine, then you had... Uh, Heath High School in Paducah here in Kentucky. And it's becoming fairly common. But have you given any thought to why are mass shootings increasing?
0: Yes, because broad is the path to destruction Mm -hmm. and narrow is the way and few that find it. I think Mm -hmm. as our population grows, as 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 the church declines in influence, and that is I think that rests at the feet of the church, and I'm part of the church, so I can speak about family. Um, I, I think the rise in um, a, a, what appears to be mental health issues that are are unaddressed, um I, I think I, I think there's there's a myriad of factors uh, that, that, that I mean, when I was a young man, Richard, we used to go to school with guns in our vehicles no. to go squirrel hunting afterward, no. or we would go deer hunting in the morning and have 30 sixes fully loaded in our yeah. vehicles. Yeah. And the notion of going inside the school with that weapon, because back then, if you have an odd against somebody, you knuckled up, you know, behind That's the right, you
1: settled it. That's my same story. We would take our guns to school and leave them in our vehicles. I remember opening a duck season when I was a junior. We'd have my um, John boat in the back of my parents' station wagon, filled with decoys and waders, and our shotguns and ammunition. And we got permission to to leave school early, uh, but but it was not an issue. It was unthinkable. Now that was I graduated from high school in nineteen eighty eight. But it was unthinkable that you would take a firearm and use them on your fellow student. Unthinkable. It didn't happen. There weren't school shootings back then. And, and so it's important for us to understand some of the changes that have taken place, one of which is uh, people are less connected today. And isn't that an irony where we have smartphones and social media and email, and we have all the tools to be super connected with one another, and yet we are disconnected in relationships? Young people today are spending an incredible amount of time on their gi- digital devices, much less time in community and in face-to-face interactions with others. There is a loneliness epidemic today. It is now considered a public health crisis where people who are not in relationship with others, they're, they're no longer part of a family or a community, where they are truly connected. And I would say these two things have played a significant role in the idea that, uh, that it's okay or that it becomes thinkable for people to engage in a mass shooting. When you become disconnected with your fellow man, when you don't have true relationships, a person is just a, a theoretical thing. It, it, they're not real. Uh, And when you're living in a virtual universe, Ron, of these the the games, a virtual universe of social media, where you have images and you have perceptions, but not real relationship, I believe it becomes thinkable to do the unthinkable, and that's why we're facing this today. So consider these statistics from the uh, the 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 center, the U. Let's see, the Gun Violence uh, Center for Gun Violence. There have been 162 mass shootings in the United States this year. It's considered four or more deaths not including the death of the gunman. So there've been 162 in this country according to this resource. There've been about 12,601 total gun violence deaths in the country. Uh out of those 12,601 there were 5,407 that were homicides or murders. So uh, that leaves seven thousand one hundred ninety-four were suicides. So most of the gun deaths in this country were by suicide. Uh, mass shootings, one hundred and sixty-four, as I mentioned. Uh, number of children, seventy-seven children uh, killed in the in uh, gun deaths. Number of teenagers, and that's children. Ages 0 to 11, 77. Number of teenagers killed, ages 12 to 17, 452. Um, anyways, the, these statistics by the uh, National Center on Gun Violence are um, documented and uh, seem pretty accurate. One thing I noticed, Ron, was that between 2016 and 2023, the number of mass shootings, mass shooting deaths, has uh, more is more than doubled and it's uh it's an alarming trend and it's one of these uh one of these cultural um just a cultural indicator of of a real evil uh that's taking place and here we are we're trying to process through this trying, trying to process through the unthinkable and uh and a, a proper biblical response
0: appreciate the fact that you hit on mental illness and and I, I'm going to be I'm going to be very transparent here um uh, i have a i have a a a family member when i say family it might might mean extended family um, who has um, uh, diagnosed uh, mental illness um, medicated um, and and as long as they stay on that medication uh, things are fine but sometimes with people who struggle with mental illness uh, they think after a while they're feeling better so they stop taking their medication and so that's a vicious cycle um I, I I love shooting weapons, I own um, weapons, and, um, and I have a weapon that belongs to that person. Um, mm-hmm. I maintain that weapon, I keep that weapon. This person and I have had dialogue many times before, and because of their mental illness, I would not give them the weapon um, to be able to maintain for themselves Uh, I keep it. That person will call me. Hey, let's go shooting. We do it together. Um, If I if I sense that they're off their medication, I'm like, no, we're not going to do this today. Um, And so I think there's a you know responsibility for us to look out for each other. I think sometimes family members have a hard time being honest with other family members. When when a grown man goes into an elementary school and eliminates children. It makes okay. no difference what, you know, if, if that person was having sexual relationships with them, we would say that person is mentally ill. They, they need to be hospitalized, imprisoned and hospitalized because it, it's a criminal act. Um, but, but, but there would be, there would be a, a, an immediate sort of a, of a reaction to be able to say, we need to treat this guy because this is an abnormal mental behavior. And so when you have somebody go in and take the lives of children, that also is an abnormal mental behavior. And so we have a a mentally ill situation going on, and often mentally ill people have a hard time understanding religious principles and things like that. So I, I realize it's an evil act, but I think many times people who are suffering from mental delusions and things like that, I have a hard time categorizing them as being evil. And I, I, let me make sure that you understand, I didn't hear you calling them evil, that, the, that, that situation is an evil uh, outcome. But, but I think we really, really, really need to focus on true mental health, because the person in my family, when they, they have been in crisis in several situations, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible to find in our area immediate mental health care. It's almost impossible, mm-hmm. uh, even if, if you have insurance. But if you don't, and many of them don't, uh, then then it's, it's nearly impossible.
1: Yeah. Ron, what I'm hearing from you, and these are some good points you're bringing up, but uh, the next question is going to be red flag laws. Is that the route to go? Uh, we're going to take a quick break, though. If you're just uh, tuning in, you're listening to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson here with Ron Hicks, and we are talking about mass shootings, and a Christian response. Uh, stick with us, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, Richard Nelson here with the Commonwealth Policy Center. It's clear that the news media isn't always fair. In fact, there's lots of far-left bias and political gamesmanship. No surprise there. So if you're looking for perspective that's grounded in the truth of Scripture and our nation's founding principles, then get plugged into CPC's resources. Sign up for our e-newsletter at commonwealthpolicycenter.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Commonwealth Policy Center. And we're on Twitter at cpc for kentucky Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson here with Ron Hicks, and we are talking about mass shootings. And Ron, just before the break, you were sharing uh, a story of you have a family member who does suffer from mental illness. They do have a gun. And you are mindful of their mental condition before you were even to go out and, and shoot together with them. Um, do you think that's part of the solution where family members are really in tune and looking out for those who might suffer from mental illness or might have suffered from some kind of instability that could lead them to uh, lead them to a mass shooting? Um, is, is this something where families need to step up to a greater degree?
0: I think so. Yes, and, and and in case you missed the the first part of that, the person in my family that does have mental illness, um, I maintain their firearm. They they don't have their firearm, and so yes, I think it starts on the family level. Everything, everything. God put the family together. Um, the husband and wife. The the Book of Ephesians says to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. Uh, children are a blessing, and and I I think I as a father. Even though I'm 62 years old and my son is in his 40s, I'm still his daddy. I still yeah. sow into his life. I still give him uh, advice and all the rest of that. Now, he's his own man. He's got his own kids, and he's doing that same thing. But I stop being a father when my father in heaven calls me home. And mm-hmm. so I, I look over my, my, my family and my extended family. And so, yes, I think everything starts in the home.
1: Ron, the Southern Baptist Convention, at their annual meeting, they had a resolution on gun violence and mass shootings, and part of that statement said this, "...we call on federal, state, and local authorities to implement preventative measures that would reduce gun violence and mass shootings while operating in accordance with the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution." So when they're talking about preventative measures, one of those uh, important measures are red flag laws. And essentially a red flag law says that if there is somebody suffering from mental illness uh, who might be prone to violence, then there ne- then any possible firearm purchase needs to be stopped. This is where – and so- several states do have red flag laws on the books – And uh, the idea here is that if that person who has already been flagged as being mentally imbalanced, um, and if they go to try to buy a firearm, um, they would be blocked. Uh, They'd be in some kind of a database, and they would show up. uh, uh, Their name would show up at the gun store, and they would uh, be prevented from uh, purchasing a firearm. Now, we do know, uh, while the intent is, I think it's, A good intent. You want to keep guns out of the hands of people who are unstable. Um, We do know that red flag laws have uh, gaps in them. They're not perfect. We we know where a lot of people have gotten through, fallen through the the gaps, and they're able to get a firearm. But what are your thoughts? Uh, Is a red flag law something that Kentucky, for example, should pursue? Uh, In Tennessee, they're talking about. In fact, I'm not sure. I know it's come up where where they're talking about greater gun restrictions in Tennessee. I'm not sure if they have a red flag law, though. But what are your thoughts on um, red flag laws?
0: I think it's a great idea in principle. I think in practical uh, practicality. And and let me just use an example from a from a completely different sector. You have you have medical professionals who will advise a underage male or female on uh, their their sexuality, uh, birth control issues, and all the rest of that. And their ideology is, I can communicate with this adolescent, and I have no obligation at all to be able to communicate those same things with the parent. And so you have hmm. a person of authority who has been granted permission to be able to do that, and based on their own political, uh, social worldview— they make a determination of how they're able to administer that. Take that same mentality, now put that in the hands of somebody who who medically diagnoses whether somebody is capable of carrying a firearm, and and those same liberties, I'm afraid, would take place. So you might have somebody who's under a momentary um, uh, stressor, uh, maybe, maybe a huge stressor, uh they have um gone through those things before they have firearms they've never resorted to firearms before but you have somebody that has that same mindset and maybe the political belief that you know and and boom you know once a red flag goes up i, I assume that something becomes a part of that person's per, you know permanent medical records or, or something and so how do you in practicality do that. That's my concern. I think it's a great idea in in principle, though.
1: So, Ron, what I'm hearing from you is that you think that a red flag law could be abused by somebody's wrong judgment, uh, somebody that might have wrong motives, or their worldview might be different from the person they're looking at, and they could be wrongly flagged. Is Is that correct?
0: Absolutely. I have many, many I, I, I've been a pastor for nearly 30 years now, and th- in that time I, I've counseled many soldiers who mm-hmm. who have come to me and said, look, you know, I, I need help somewhere just kind of processing this, but I can't go to a professional, because if I do, the first thing they're going to want to do is to take my guns."
1: Well, and that gets sticky when you talk about somebody taking somebody's guns, and yet the reality is, now, w- what you just said there is that there, there's a Implicit admission that there's the possibility if they're coming to you for counseling, I'm suspecting for mental health issues, spiritual slash mental health issues. There's an implicit admission that they might wrongly misuse those guns. Is is that accurate?
0: Accurate? No. no. no what they're saying is, I ha- I have an issue that I'm aware of. That yeah. I, I I'm not a professional, so I don't do any mental health counseling. I just do right. life. Right. Kind of life coaching and biblical counseling but their yeah. concern and and i let me state this in all of my years of ministry not one person who's come to me for that sort of counseling has ever used a firearm to be able to wrongly take somebody's life. their concern is just simply coming in and saying hey i i need a little help with what's going on in the pumpkin they're afraid if they go to a professional, the first thing the professional is going to sure. do is take the firearm. So nobody, if anybody ever said, look, I'm, I'm afraid I might do something with a firearm, yeah. I'm on the phone, you know, and saying, hey, yeah. because yeah. I don't I don't want to be responsible for that. But but none of them have said that. Their whole concern is because I feel like I've got something I need to deal with, <laughs> if I go to a professional, they may take my firearm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, so I'm going to go back to one of the, most influential public policy groups as far as in the Christian community is concerned. It's the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Brent Leatherwood, their president, sent a letter to Tennessee's governor and the Tennessee legislature calling on them to take action to keep guns out of the hands of people who really should not have them. Again, those who are mentally unstable And Leatherwood says that lawmakers have an obligation to oppose evil and to protect innocent lives. So, Ron, what would—so red flag laws, as we mentioned, you say in theory, in principle, they are good, but there are possible downsides to that. Are there any other policies or path, if you will, to to protect innocent lives, to oppose evil and to protect innocent lives? We know that those are two— things as Christians and as Christian policymakers, we want policies that oppose evil and also protect um, innocent, uh, the innocent public.
0: When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Many of the people, uh, I, I don't know the number, so let's just say some of the people who have been perpetrators of these mass shootings, they, they talk about the isolation in school. They yes. talk about the isolation in community. They talk about how they've been mistreated and they, they talk about how they have been ostracized, how, how they, and because they didn't fit in, they gravitated towards, you know, um, um, things that weren't healthy and all the rest of that. You know, when, when we were going to school or I'll just say when I was going to school, if you had somebody that, 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 was kind of weird. That stuck out. That stuck out, and all the rest of that. You know, we were always taught by my, my by my mom and dad. You go and you befriend those kind of people. Um, you know, yeah. the special needs kids, they, all those guys were celebrated. They were the heroes of the school and, and those sort of things. People had mental illness and, 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 you know, everybody, I mean, you know, your mom and dad will say, well, invite that kid over it, even when we didn't want to, because mm-hmm. we said, well, he's weird. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you need to invite him over. So I yeah. think the breakdown of the family structure, um, as cliche as that might seem, is, is I think at the foundation of most of the things that are going on. Second, um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay this issue firmly at the feet of the church. I say this to my church all the time. Statistically, most Christians will go through, like in the 90 percentile, most Christians go through their life without ever one time sharing their faith with the expectation of a decision. And so I think the gospel of Jesus Christ, again, it might sound cliche to a non-believer, but the gospel of Jesus Christ changes the hearts and the minds of people.